These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, murder, suicide, and the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. See this important film now before it is too late. Why America? Uh, in fact, there was a lot more danger when and, uh, and my safety with when Ambushed was published in 2004 than so far with the Ganja Godfather. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. We're going to be talking with Toby Rogers a little bit later, investigative journalist, uh, about his new book. We got our buddy Justin joining us for the intro. Uh, but first, as always, Graham, I get sad when the Canucks lose Dunlop. I how's, do. How's it going, buddy? Uh, not too bad. I could not decide on who to cheer for. I was struggling with uh, my new city and my old city, and even though I haven't been following hockey lately, and I was very sad when they lost, so maybe that's who I should have been cheering for. I'll make it easy for you. <laughs> what do you got there? There's no more Vancouver to cheer for. Yeah, I know. So we should say the book, though. The book from Toby Rogers is The Ganja Godfather, New York's... The Untold Story of New York City's Weed Kingpin. That was a pretty great interview, and, and we get into all kinds of other stuff, too, eh, Darren? With Toby there? Yeah, a lot of bush stuff. Yeah, a lot That's of... That's fun oh, stuff, too. yeah, because he wrote about the bushes, too. What was it? Don't get bushwhacked or something like that? Ambushed. Or, ambushed, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's made some predictions at the upcoming election. Jebediah? Jebediah. I still can't believe it. <laughs> what do you think, Justin? Yeah, no comment. Okay, good. Let's not even go to, into politics. Yeah, I, I figured that we'll just stay away from that. Does that mean you're voting for Bush? No, not not voting for Bush. Voting period? Yeah, I vote. Yeah, yeah. I usually wait until election day to make up my mind. You just flip uh, a coin. That's a bing. No, I've never flipped a coin, but I have come close. No difference, really, probably. Yeah, probably not. Might as well flip a coin. They've already decided. They should have a no yeah. vote on there. 
No. Yeah, like scratch out, scratch out, like nobody. You should be able to vote for yourself. <laughs> Self-nominate. I think if you get enough no votes, then no one becomes president. Oh, that's just a fucking free for all. That's right. It might be better. That's more like anarchist, I guess. Anarchy. We'll try it out. Anarchicula. Anarticulate. So how you been, buddy? Oh, pretty good. Working. Staying busy. Of course, everyone, sure. everyone remembers Justin does the newsletter for us. Occasionally write a blog or three. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got any blogs coming up? Talks to NASA physicists. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm going to get that producer title here pretty soon. Yeah, that's good. We could just give you a phone number to just call people up out of the blue, like ex-NASA physicist and talk to them for us. Yeah, see, I was calling him an ex-NASA physicist, but I think retired NASA physicist sounds better. Yeah, retired, totally. So yeah. It's like you say ex-NASA physicist, like you got kicked out of yeah. NASA. <laughs> or sorry, sorry, NASA, Graham, NASA. NASA. I can't see. NASA. I can't. <laughs> I've been thinking about that lately, and I've tried to correct my uh, pronunciation. I can't do it. NASA. <laughs> It must have been as a kid or something, learning about it. Let's see. Try it again. NASA? No, just NASA. <laughs> NASA? I guess that's like me that with Graham. It. NASA? Like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There it you seems go. Weird. It's really hard to do. That's perfect. So, should you we... Nailed I don't want to ramble on too much here for people. Do you want to hear a, about that's an article on, on swearing, since that's kind of come up lately? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, this has been sent to... Uh, Sent to me by the listener, Edward P. He's like, fuck, where is that goddamn link again? Oh, here it is. What do you, what do you point at? Your mic is in talking uh, to <laughs> Anyways, thanks, Ed. This is, a, this is um, an article in Distractify. People who say fuck a lot are a lot harder. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 Let's just start this one over. A lot harder. <laughs> A lot hotter and healthier. So for years, we've been shamed into thinking that cursing is bad, something reserved for lowlives and sailors. But new research suggests the exact opposite is true. So in case you haven't found out, this is not the article again, but that, uh, you know, the censorship of the lack of censorship in Grammarica and the explicit nature is bound to be a controversy for a long time, probably. It'll probably keep coming up. So I figured... Uh, yeah, it's fun to talk about it every once in a while. So I'll continue on here. It says, uh, several studies have found that swearing is a healthy practice that encourages emotional strength, which pretty much debunks the theory that cursing is the language of the ignorant. In one British study, researchers found that we swear to cope with situations that make us feel strong emotions and that a good string of expletives can actually help us endure pain. Yeah, and I put up with a lot of fucking pain <laughs> sitting next to this guy. <laughs> we want to use more taboo words when we are emotional. We grow up learning these words, these words are, and using what these words are, and using these words while we are emotional can help us to feel stronger. That's what Dr. Richard Stevens said in a presentation to the British Psychological Society. Some words are more taboo than others, but the effects can be greater the stronger the word. Not only do we feel more confident when we curse, but apparently it makes us a whole lot more attractive, too. In a radio and online survey conducted by the Frisky, both men and women agreed that swearing can be a turn-on, but only when done in appropriate contexts, i.e. 
Mama bear moments are talking dirty in the sack. Mama bear moments. <laughs> the, moral, <laughs> the moral of the story is that bottling emotions is bad for your health. If dropping an F-bomb helps you blow off steam or expresses your true feelings, let it fly. Just don't get excessive. Fuck yeah. Those of us with dirty mouths shouldn't be looking to clean them up too soon. Instead, swearing should come out of the taboo closet and can be used by everyone on a daily basis. That's Chris Riotta. He writes for the Elite Daily. However, just like too much salt in your food, overdoing it can delete all the benefits, especially when it comes to how you're perceived by peers and those in authority. Think of swear words as a spice rather than the main ingredient, and you'll be golden. And anyone who disagrees can just fuck right off. I'm a little heavy on the spice. Yeah. That's how I like my food, too, though. Spicy. That'll be what I'll say when you, when you start getting into those sentences where every second word is a swear, I'll just be... When, he, when even you have to reel me in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I thought you'd like that one, Darren. I'm just passionate. Yeah. I'm just passionate, that's all. That reminds me of an old liquor store joke. Does it? First, you get a catcher. I'm passionate. Ketchup and liquor. Well, Justin said he had a synchronicity for us, so that's a perfect excuse for me to play my new jingle. I want a good skull for my synchronicity. Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low? Yeah, yeah. Beauty. Yeah, it's an instant classic. Instant classic. That's from our friend Not Morgan at Reflective Air. Thanks for the jingle, buddy. That we was get great good. jingles. Yeah, yeah, really good. So that's your cue, Jessen. All right. So I was over visiting with my friend that I hadn't seen him for a while, and uh, I'm in, you know, just conversation. He asked me what I've been up to, and I was telling him about the podcast and how I write for you guys. And he kind of had this look in his eye like he wasn't too sure what a podcast was. So I asked him if he knew, and he said that he did. And, uh, in fact, he had a friend who does a podcast from the town that I live in, which I thought was weird because I, I thought, you know, it's not that big of a town. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, it's actually kind of big. It's uh, it's like a paranormal podcast. <laughs> I was like, like, really? Like, what's the name of it? It's like, ah, I'm not too sure of the name, but he told me his friend's name, in which I searched in through itunes and i came up with tales from the space pod and i asked him if that was it he's like yeah sure that sounds right and uh, so i downloaded it and didn't think of much of it for the rest of the day well the next couple of days i was trying to find something to listen to and i played that and yeah it was it's a pretty good podcast actually and uh so i got online when i got home and was looking up um you know the the website and uh the, his friend my 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 friend's friend isn't the one who runs the podcast he's just a co-host on it the guy who runs it um i was checking out his profile to see if i recognize him and i didn't well the next day in our newspaper there's a picture of the guy who runs the podcast and uh he's opening oh it's uh like an art exhibition in his home huh but so yeah, that's basically it. I've never heard of this podcast before. Listen to it. Check it out the next day. The guy who runs the podcast is in my paper. Huh. 
Okay. And you saw it, or did somebody else show it to you? No, I was that's like I I was at work and the paper got delivered and I was looking through it and I recognized his face because I just looked at it the night before. And I looked down at the name and that, that was it was the same name, Lyle Burns, I believe his name is. Lyle Burns, what's the site called? Uh, Tales from the Space Pod. Tales from the Space Pod, great name. Yes. We should change our name to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's an instant classic. I was a little confused because I didn't think you read newspapers anymore. But yeah, I know. So it's all on. It's all digital. Well, see, I don't have a subscription to the paper, but my company does. Yeah, exactly. So, are you subscribed to this podcast now? Yes, I'm not caught up, and they they just done their 200th episode a few wow. weeks ago. Yeah, and but they they've got like five years into it. So now um, you get what I heard. So now we'll see if any other synchronicities pop up along the way. But for now, I'll give you a mid-middle of the field. Well, I was thinking about contacting them. And uh, while I was, I was actually, I was in East Wenatchee. Up the, the, uh, I live in Wenatchee, and right next to us is East Wenatchee, and it's divided by the Columbia River. And I was making a delivery over in East Wenatchee up by the airport, and I was listening to this podcast, and, and he was talking about how he lives up by the airport, and how he was getting people just texting him random, like fans from the podcast. Um, why, and I, while I was thinking about trying to get a hold of him, contact him, you know, just to hang, you know, talk and about paranormal whatnot. But he was talking about how it was really annoying, how he wished people wouldn't do that. Do what? Get like just call his like personal phone because he has his hands in a lot of different things, and so his number is pretty accessible on the internet oh, I see. and so he just had like fans like randomly text him like hey is this lyle <laughs> <laughs> lol you know so it's like i really wish people would do that do nasa physicists react like that <laughs> no, that no is he, he <laughs> was uh he was a little bit more uh warm welcoming warm welcoming <laughs> i can't tell yeah that definitely Looks takes looking. you a step closer to producerhood yeah yeah I'm going to get a business card made, and I won't forget it in the motel room at Paradigm. Perfect. Do you got an old hag jingle ready, Darren? An old hag? Yeah. I never got my rating. Oh, oh right. You want me to rate it? He All was right. about to. I'll give it a six. Okay. Six. Uh, I'll take that. It's better than my last one. Yeah, it is. And it's, yeah. I'm in a good mood. Synchronicity scoring. Nice. Yeah, it caught me on a good day. I don't, I do not have a... Uh, a uh, jingle like that. You know what jingle uh, I was thinking? I was, the other day I had in my head a j jingle of the old, uh, the old America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, no. Stories from America. No, that's creepy. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. No. It's got bad memories. You do? Yeah. Why were you on an episode? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like America at its worst or something. I don't know. At its best, my friend. At its best. Yeah, hitting itself in the balls with stuff. No, Maybe it's not. Memories I like the that. videos. It's just the show was really weird. It was hilarious. <laughs> okay, I got a, an old hag, if you don't mind. Fire this is away. From, this is from Lance. Lance H. He says... Uh, <clears throat> Hey guys, I love the soul. Here, here's a here's a story. Loves the soul. Yeah, here's a story for your consideration. What's your that happened to me. <laughs> uh, I've only had this one possible 
old hag experience in my life to my knowledge. I was in my early early 30s in the early 2000s, kind of old for old hag, which is experienced primarily by much younger people. My wife and I were camping after, camping after a, a hard day of hiking and rock climbing in the Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky, old frontier in Civil War County country. That night, we quickly fell asleep in our tent as we were exhausted. Approximately 3 or 4 a.m., I was shocked by an incredibly vivid dream that burst into my dream vision. I was very aware that I was asleep and dreaming. I was also very aware of how I was orientated in my tent, where my wife lay asleep, and how my tent was situated on my campsite, where the campfire was, which way was north, where the car was parked, where the entrance road to the ranger station were, the roadside ditches and underbrush, and the general ge geography of the nearby area. I could see it all as if from outside my body and tent. Then suddenly the vision of the geography melted and morphed into what I instantly knew was the same place but different in appearance. What I knew was the same place in a much early time. The campgrounds and roads were gone, which was currently thick woods and brush and replaced with rolling hills with occasional and scattered stand of trees. Very far off in the distance, I could see two men glowing fuzzy white, bright enough to obscure any details of them, but I just knew that they were also of a time long ago. They were tiny at such a distance, but I knew them as men. Suddenly, my vision of them zoomed into, in so that... I was face to face with them in a fraction of a second as if I were unwillingly yanked across the distance to them rather than them to me. They were both looking straight into my face at what seemed closer than normal conversational spacing. They both turned their faces and looked off to my, to my right, their left. The glowing man to my right raised a hand, pointed in the direction they were looking and asked me, do you want to see a dead body, indicating where he pointed. To say the least, this was shockingly creepy. Almost instantly, I am again aware that I am in my tent, still dreaming, I would guess. My vision now, however, was from my own eyes, from their normal point of view, from where I lay on my back. With my sudden return to my current location in my tent, I saw my chest, legs, and feet as I lay on my back. However, there was another body glowing bright and fuzzy white, just as the men in the past distance. This glowing body was taking great care to position himself precisely so as to lay his body into mine. Starting with the feet, legs, and pelvis, they seemed to merge into my body for a perfect matching fit. He then laid so that his left shoulder and arm merged into mine, then his chest into mine, and I watched in horror as he placed his right arm and shoulder to merge precisely into mine as I laid there, unable to move or protest. When this very last of him filled my body's form, I felt my body explode into a rigid spasm of body-wide contraction or convulsion. My back was arched like a bridge. I wanted to scream, get out, but my chest and lungs refused to expand and take the breath I needed to do so. I thought that if I could just get a breath, I could yell loud enough to break the spasm of contraction. I tried and succeeded to take tiny sips of air until I had the breath I needed to scream and break convulsion and make what felt like an invasion of my body to end. The funny thing is, this whole time I was aware of my wife sleeping inches away and that if I yelled, get out, it would certainly frighten her. So I decided to yell, stop it instead. And I did just that. 
That very instant, the entire event was over. No body-wrenching spasm, no glowing from within me, just me and my white-eyed wife bolt upright beside me. It was over. I insisted that she lay in a physical contact with me for the rest of the early morning. I refused to allow myself to go to sleep until I could see the orange glow to the east. That was the soon, that was the sun to rise. For the next three days, my body was racked with sore muscles, especially the torso, as if I had done a million crunches or sit-ups. I could easily write this off as an atypical old hag experience, if not for the convulsion, instead of the opposite flaccid per paralysis that is common to it. We somewhat affectionately refer to it as my possession, although it still scares the crap out of me. I never went back to that part of the National Forest. Thanks, and keep up the great work. I'll try again to donate. Love the show. That's from Liga Rider. Hey, he who joyfully marches in music to rank and file has already earned my contempt. He who has been given a large brain by mistake, since for him the spinal cord would su suffice. That was from Albert Einstein. A little quote at the end of that. Nice touch. Pretty creepy tale. That is a pretty creepy tale. He used to salt that shit. Salt and, salt and oil. Yeah. Salt and uh, exercise oil. <laughs> so what do you think of that, Justin? I want to know how that how the two guys asking him to want to see a dead body like relates to that. It's almost like it's got something to do with the body that, that went inside him. Man. It's almost like there was like a trapped soul or something like that, trying to find a... Hey, kid, want to see a dead body? <laughs> That was the creepiest part, I think. <laughs> to have, yeah, these these two these two guys turn to you simultaneously and say, "Hey, want to see a dead body?" Like, yeah, I think that was the freakiest part of the whole thing. Besides know, the possession man. part. Yeah, besides that, like inching inching into you. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, you clipped yeah, right there, like he reminded you of something. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Graham. <laughs> Just call me Gray. <laughs> Uh, what's next? I don't know. I've got some feedback on the grant. Or I've got some uh, an orange orb sighting from one of our listeners. Any new reviews to thank? Reviews to thank? Yeah, I don't think so. Eh? Well, I'd like to thank Jim Dexter for his or Jim D from his uh, D. his great review. I wasn't going to read it out though. But... I meant iTunes reviews. Oh yeah, no, I don't have that handy. Whole week no reviews. Oh, I don't know. I haven't looked. Oh. Yeah, I haven't looked. You could do something if you want. No. <laughs> I'll do a review after this. Uh, so you want to hear some feedback, or do you want to just get into the UFO quote? I want to hear... This is... Uh, this is the episode of Toby Rogers. I should have had one lined up that actually fit this. I'm totally winging it here. What else is new? Yeah. The least improbable explanation is that these things are artificial and controlled. My opinion for some time has been that they have an extraterrestrial origin. That's from Dr. Maurice Biot, a leading aerodynamicist and mathematical physicist. A what? Aerodynamicist. <laughs> Aerodynamicist and mathematical physicist? Yeah. What a title. 
That's not as I like the other one better. What was the other one? It was like Lord of the Seventh Battalion or something like that. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Fuck, I had some. Oh yeah, the web comic. I don't know if everyone has checked out the webcomic, but uh, Napoleon does it. It's great work. He just came out with volume two, and uh, there's there's all sorts of little hidden tidbits in there if you go through the comic that you can find oh, little, little Grabarica tidbits. So, fun I to go through and see if you can find them. He calls them little Easter eggs. Yeah, it's a little, yeah. little Easter egg hunt for Grabarica, so head on over to the website and check that out. Um... I think yeah, his blog's called the Lost Bread. So you'll be there under their under blogs. Go to Lost Bread, and Volume One and Two are there. And he's uh, he's coming over. He's actually uh, helping us out with. He sent us some episode art for this episode. So yeah, yeah the cool. art for this episode was by Napoleon too. So that's, that's something. Cool. Yeah, this is the first uh, piece time we have used a custom piece of art for an episode. So hopefully. Uh, Anyone who wants to fucking take a crack at it, feel free. And um, if Graham keeps the backstage, it's going to be tough because Graham doesn't always keep the backstage updated, but that's where you can kind of see where our upcoming guests are. If yeah. There's that newsletter. And, and, and yeah. the newsletter, of course. <laughs> Fuck. Don't I feel like an asshole? Of course, you that's grimerica.ca slash news. Justin fires that out once a week as well as on interview nights. I guess I probably should have texted you earlier and got you to fire out a... A cancellation. A cancellation, yeah. Yeah, I got on the on the mix layer. I'm like, oh, I guess I guess there's nothing going on tonight. Yeah, I was wondering about how we notify people when that <laughs> happens too. Yeah, I could always just send one out if I had uh, just a little bit of heads up. Just a text. Yeah, just a text. Next time. So sorry Next. to people who tuned in. Yeah, so there's many ways to help out the show, as, as Darren was just talking about, people sending their episode art, or it's just starting to happen. There's jingles, and obviously financial donations, too, because we are a fully value-for-value um, value model here. We don't have any ads, no commercials, no sponsorship, nothing like that, no portals. Just a bunch of half-ass value. Yeah. <laughs> not half-ass, that's not the word. Yeah. Maybe half-ass is the word. I was thinking more like, mediocre right <laughs> lazy rambling lazy ramblings your ramblings aren't lazy they're very well thought out i'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over the web he's a rambling grand skeptical about everyone and that's a classic too we got i think that gives us two classics oh yeah at least yeah. So I want to I want to read a a little email, some feedback, so people can send their feedback, synchronicities, UFO uh, sightings, like anything that they want us to share. Uh, we can't share it all, but we read it all for sure. And uh, hopefully, I reply to most people. Sometimes I lose track. Uh, anyways, the email is g r a h a m at gramerica dot com. So graham at gramerica dot com. If he doesn't reply to you, just keep emailing him. Yeah, keep eventually, spamming. yeah. So this is from uh, a couple of episodes ago. We had a little grant, uh, a, a rant, basically, on uh, about this article about uh, why people don't believe in science. More you than we, but yeah. Well, Red Pill Junkie was with us, too, at the time. 
He's always down for a good argument. So this is from Marco, and he says, Dear Graham, I wanted to write and thank you for your grant last podcast. It is so emboldening to hear a person speak passionately in defense of as yet non-falsifiable phenomena. Back in my college days, I made the mistake of majoring in psychology. Aside from not being able to use my degree for much of anything job-related, I also require I was required to assist in labs. I can tell you firsthand that outlier data which does not match the expected results is frequently thrown out. While I understand the reasoning for this, I got into many arguments with professors over what an error in data collection was and what was potentially a significant piece of evidence. Darren's insight about money driving the outcome of a study is spot on. This is especially true at the college research level where grant money is the life's blood. I made the comment of, <laughs> of Twitter about envisioning you as Ray Stance out of fondness, of course. You see, I spent... Most of my 20s working on the Peter Venkman of this world, working for the Peter Venkman of this world. You remember the, the Xenar card scene. I had supervisors just like that. Their objective being grant money rather than a date with a nubile young co-ed. Tweak that data. <laughs> oh, that's great. My personal interest was He's in... He's the guy who started Ghostbuster, Graham. Yeah. Uh, did you see I took a picture of like that Ray on the Ghostbuster machine in Vegas and the Did they, you hear the intro to the last episode? No, I don't I didn't listen to it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> was it good? It was good. It's right. I knew what he was getting at. Ray from the Ghostbusters. Oh really? Okay, now I gotta listen to it. So he says my personal interest was in abduction phenomena, which I researched in my own time. I actually met one of your guests, Eve Lorgan, when she spoke at the MUFON in San Diego. While I was, don't necessarily agree with all her ideas, I did find her work intriguing, and I still do. I wrote several pages on temporal lobe epilepsy, false memory syndrome, increased suggestibility of hypnotic subjects, and various other issues relating to abductees. I also interviewed many people who were experiencers slash abductees, including family members. I believe that even if the abduction phenomena is purely psychological experience, the people affected should be treated with respect. I'm sickened by the continual malign maligning of individuals like Whitley Strieber, who is to this day razzed about anal probing and the like. I feel like this is akin to mocking a rape victim, but most people will never see it this way. When fellow students and coworkers learned about my personal interest, I was gifted with ample amounts of tinfoil to make the hat with. I was also advised by professors not to align myself with fringe science types or no one would want to work with me. In their defense, I found this was absolutely true. When applying for graduate school in the U.S., psychology students are put into what is called a match system. Basically, you are required to list your areas of interest and rank the schools and research programs you would want to work with. Professors at these schools generally choose students from the list based on how relevant their interests are to their own research and how highly ranked their school that, the school that employs them. They need lab rats. Long story short, I never made it to grad school. Anyways, I apologize for the long email, but I wanted to let you know that I really appreciate your fearless conviction and enthusiasm. I hope you never let this world and all its mindless mockery dull that part of you. Distinti saluti from Marco. Marco? Yeah. Polo. Is that some kind of a joke? I'm just kidding. I don't get the reference. Thanks, Marco. You don't you don't know that game? <laughs> yeah, I know the game. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Marco. We hope you always keep your your childish wonder, Graham. <laughs> My Ray-like wonder. 
absolutely. I will. I will try not to become too jaded. Yeah. So do you have anything uh, you want to jump into, Justin? Anything to bring up? Bones to pick? Uh, I one minor bone. Uh, when, when I wrote it uh, into Dare uh, or into Graham, uh, my Codex Gigas uh, synchronicity. He didn't read it? No, he read it. Uh, but you, I forget what you rated it. But you're like, yeah, that might be more of a ripple, or maybe you just heard them, you know, mention that that's what their next topic was going to be. They don't mention what their next topic's going to be. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> so, so now you know that that wasn't just my subconscious hearing. Like that, that was, uh, well, it was a synchronicity. I mean, they certain things synced up, you know, through that, and yeah, it, it definitely. Gave me pause. I didn't mean bones to pick with me. Oh no, no, they're all for you, Darren. How, how did, did I read I it? Was you? was what it? Did I give you ground. You think maybe I didn't read it, it well enough? Maybe or? no, I, no, no. Like except for the pronunciation, I forget. I think you were saying like Gigas, but it, it, it's Gigas, <laughs> Codex Gigas. But no, like like you, you read it very well, Graham. Very well. Okay, because sometimes that can be responsible for losing Darren in the middle of the uh, of the synchronicity. <laughs> I th- I, maybe, maybe what it's did Darren I give you? Can't keep up. I don't remember. It wasn't that bad, actually. Okay, you can add a point five. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a really good one. I I thought that was great. Yeah, it was the same podcast uh, that we found that similar uh, artwork with the Moai with the headphones. That's right. That iconography. Yeah. Other so, than that, no, I'm good. <laughs> right on. So I don't know, Darren, I'm going to save my uh, orb sighting for next week. Your orb sighting? Yeah. You, that'll lead into an orb? That'll lead into, no, the one I got from an email here. I swore there was something else I wanted to touch on, but yeah. now I can't remember. I know. Well, that happens, eh? Ain't that a motherfucker. <laughs> Well, I don't think there's anything else then. We're going to jump into our chat with the Ganja Man, Toby Rogers. You got anything else? Nope. That was just a great chat with Toby, and we want to thank him for coming on. Yes, sir. Uh, of course, support our value for value model. Check out grammarica.ca slash support. Um, another way to support the show, check out grammarica.ca slash iTunes and leave us a review there or on Stitcher. And uh, the easiest way of all is just to Tell your friends about this show. Um, anything else? Nothing? Sign up for the newsletter, grammarica.ca slash news. Send in your, your uh, send in whatever you want to grab. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Anything you want? Yeah. Anything. Thanks. Uh, even Fifty Shade stuff would be okay, too. <laughs> Take it easy, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on, Justin. It was good to chat with you again. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man, come back anytime. I, I know I'm no RPJ, but I appreciate it. <laughs> You're an American RPJ. Yeah, Ameri- I got the American accent instead of the Mexican one. Americano. And your internet's a little better. A little. As it cuts out. No. He's fucking like... with us. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. All right, guys. Well, uh, enjoy the chat with Toby Rogers. We'll pick you up on the other side.
Okay, guys, in Grand America tonight, we're going to be chatting with journalist uh, Toby Rogers about his latest book, The Ganja Godfather. Uh, probably a few other things, too, as usual. Uh, but first, how's it going, buddy? Hey, it's going pretty good. Going pretty good. Yeah, we've got uh, Toby Rogers here. The Ganja Godfather, the untold story of New York City's weed kingpin. And Toby Rogers is also uh, had his first book out. It was called Ambushed, Secrets of the Bush Family. And that was featured in you know papers and magazines and in, uh, internationally known. And he's, he's also written for uh, the New York Times, New York Post, Village Voice, High Times. He's been featured on Countdown with Keith, Keith Oberman and Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. And he was a consultant and featured in HBO's Horns and Halos documentary. And we got to talk about that one. He's an award-winning journalist, investigative journalist and author. And we're happy to have Toby and Graham Eric here to talk to him about his latest book. Kind of fits in with our theme here. So welcome to the Graham Eric Show, Toby. Graham, Darren, it's great to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot. I guess we should start with your, your latest book. Hey, Darren, uh, The Ganja Godfather. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that must have been uh, to quite the quite the experience. Can you give our listeners a rundown of exactly what the Gaja Godfather is? Sure. Um, in uh, in the fall of two thousand nine, an old friend from high school uh, contacted me. We'd been friends for over years. We're actually, pretty good friends. And he told me an interesting story. He said that. Well, first he told me that he was a big mafia guy in New York. <laughs> And um, although I kind of suspected it already, but not to the degree that it, I actually uncovered. Huh. He said that uh, Mark Jacobs of New York Magazine had approached him, had knew him too, and approached him about doing a story, a profile piece in New York Magazine. And Silvio Ebley is his name. He agreed. And uh, when it was published, uh, Silvio was not pleased with what came out. And he called me. Uh, maybe a week or two after it was published, and asked me to reboot the story and get the story right. Wow. And as it turns out, he, he actually didn't tell Jacobs everything. Uh, he kind of gave him a, a a shadow of an image. Um, so it really wasn't Jacobs's fault. He didn't necessarily get anything wrong. It just wasn't it wasn't what Silvio himself thought it should be. And that's really what sparked this whole project. And And that was a few years in the making then? for you well it was uh fall of 2009 like i said we went to high school together um in scarsdale new york and um i've known him my basically for the last 30 years and i actually um i actually worked for him in the 90s i worked for the family um in a, at a fish store in in, in scarsdale oh. and um you know it was all under my nose i had no idea i just I, I i i wrote about it in the book i suspected but i you know I really felt bad that I was falling into that vicious uh, Italian stereotype, you know. So, um, uh, when I we basically uh, I shadowed him for about six weeks. Um, we I followed him on every every day, whatever he did on, on any given day. I was there, whether it was you know strip clubs in Atlantic City or having dinner with the wife and kids. Uh, I was there. I had unprecedented access to the mafia, really, wow. um, like no other journalist has had before. Basically, because of our past relationship, had a personal relationship or friendship, and then it kind of I became a journalist, and then it just kind of it, it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, he, uh, I also spent more time, a few months with uh, him uh, again in 2013, and 
Um, so it, it really, it was, it was, a, I, and in between there, I was on the lam. So <laughs> it was really a five-year project. Mm-hmm. And when I, at first, when I heard about this, I thought it was like a story about, you know, the, the 19, you know, twenties or thirties or something like that. But this is a real recent, a recent thing, right? Yes. Um, it is, uh, this is. This is not some uh, jailhouse memoir or old dead man's tale. Yeah. Uh, this is this, the Ganja Godfather is about the mafia operating now on the streets of New York. Wow. So you must so have seen a lot of really change. Unique. It's really unique in that way uh, in terms of true crime. Usually true crime is about somebody who's already in jail or the, the, you know, the, the saga is over. This one is continuing. It's still ongoing. Wow. And it must have changed a lot since – since you even sort of were embedded there because of the legalization in certain states now, like you must have seen, uh, you know, what was that like being being there when all this was happening? You know, he is, uh, I think he's planning for the inevitable is what uh, he told me last this week actually is uh, when, when weed is legal in the United States from coast to coast, he'll probably be shut down. Wow. And that will be the end of his, his – he had a really good run. 30 years as a weed dealer in New York City without getting caught is a pretty remarkable run. So I think he's he, – I think he's – strangely enough, I think he's very proud of, of what he's done. And um, in a way, in a, in, a, in a sociopathic way, you kind of have to commend him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because I always thought that eventually everybody gets nabbed. You know, <clears throat> That's what I – my, they do, my perception know? of it was. Most do. He's he's a, he's incredibly smart. I don't know if he was. I mean, he was. I mean, technically speaking, he was born into this. He was born like Floyd Mayweather is born into boxing. Silvio Ebley was born into the mafia. He's really like a mafia prince. And I mean, he to show you how it's almost like mythology. Um, this whole story. When he was an infant, the 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 Godfather was being made. And his uh, his one of his cousins, Al Literi, was cast um, <laughs> as Virgil the Turk Salazzo in The Godfather. And uh, Al, Al, Literi, Al Literi, the actor who played Virgil the Turk Salazzo in The Godfather, had to ask his sister's husband's brother, who was Tommy Ebley, who was the crime boss of the Genovese crime family, if it was okay to be in this mob movie <laughs> called The Godfather, Tommy Ebley said, "That's great. You're more than I, I, you, know, you don't even have to ask. You're more than happy to do it." Al brought the cast <coughs> and the and crew members of The Godfather to Fort Lee, New Jersey, to Sylvia Ebley's grandfather's house, Patsy Ebley, and broke bread with real mobsters. We're talking about Al Pacino, James Kahn, Al Ruddy, the producer, was, was there. Um, and uh, uh, Sylvia was in a crib in, a, in, a, in the same house. And he, this, is, this is when he was born. And it's a pretty amazing arch from 1971 to 2013. It's really a, his life is basically a vortex of the entire marijuana um, continuum, you know, from the underground dark ages of the marijuana scene in New York, all the way now to the to really the cannabis renaissance, although it has not hit New York. And that's one of the reasons why he's still in business, is that marijuana is illegal in New York. And probably be the last state to legalize marijuana in the union huh. as well. So it really will, a, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, the re- the, there's a reason why it's not because the, the people don't want it. It's because they don't have they don't have um, ballot initiatives like in other states in America where the voters get to vote on issues. You know, do we raise property taxes for schools or do we you know, that type of thing in New York? There's none of that. You just vote for candidates. And Albany is also I'm sure you all you and all your listeners know Albany is probably the biggest cesspool of corruption in the in North America, if not South, if not in the Americas as well. Um, it is the biggest cesspool of corruption in uh, politics. Hmm. And it, it, there's more money invested in the illegality than making it legal. And there's probably not a there's probably not a, a, a state in the in the in the union that could benefit more with medical or, or, or legalized recreational marijuana than New York. You know, its economies in the dumps, particularly upstate New York, which is all rural and, and agriculturally based. If if they actually had the courage and, and, and the vision to actually legalize marijuana in New York, I think New York would probably become the empire state again. Yeah. Isn't there a way for, it, for those guys to, to still to still stay involved with the distribution, even though it becomes legalized? I mean, do they look at that or do they just not even bother? You know, I have to be honest, I think that there's not enough profit for these guys. Right, right. You know, he buys, I think he buys grams for $10 a gram from California, which usually probably go, I would guess, somewhere, somewhere between 7 and 8 maybe $9 a gram. And then he's able to flip that in New York City to $30 a gram. Wow. And with his, with, that, with his particular business... Although I'll say this, he offs when the larger, the more you buy, the less it is, like with Costco. <laughs> so it's $30 a gram. But if you start buying ounces or zips, as they call them, or quarter pounds, it, the, it actually, it's, the price is a little lower than $30 a gram. But just to get in the door, to get a delivery, you know, like at some Chinese places, there's like a $15 or $20 minimum. With Silvio's, delivery business in New York, it's a, it's a $180 minimum, meaning you have to buy um, two, uh, I'm sorry, you have to buy th- uh, two tickets, as they're called, that have uh, three grams in them each, I believe. I think that's how it works. And it totals 180. I may have that in reverse. It might be three tickets with two. I forgot what it is. I guess but everything's expensive of- in New York. <laughs> Everything, yeah, and and illegal getting weed delivered to your door um, is exactly uh, is is an expense. Huh. How does that compare to so, up here, Darren? That's a lot, yeah. a lot more. Yeah, hundred three in Canada, hundred eighty bucks to get you a zip. A zip? How yeah. much? One hundred eighty bucks How- here to get you a zip. Okay, one hundred eighty dollars will get you uh, three two gram tickets. Huh. What's a zip and out? Yeah, so twenty eight wow. grams. Right. Wow. So I I don't think he I, I don't think the profit. It's just my opinion. I don't think the profit is enough for the mob. Not just Silvio Ebley, but anybody doing it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, that's like even you hear lots of people say that you know there's no money in weed anymore. Mm. It's just you know it's become so. I guess maybe it's different in the States, but in Canada, it's really kind of rude. Like, nobody really cares anymore. Like, it's still illegal, I guess, but it's like, 
there doesn't seem to be any like BC's just growing weed like crazy and exporting it all over the world. It <laughs> seems like, and nobody really gives a fuck. What what's the story with Vancouver? I, 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 it's not legal, or is it is, or it was? I was just asking somebody that it's the other not day. Not legal but, technically, but they've got a bunch of shops where you can buy it now. So I guess I guess you can get your doctor's card or whatever. So there's medical marijuanas there. <clears throat> so you can pretty much buy it in a bunch of shops. Apparently, there's thirty or something shops. Yeah, but there's in, been in smoke Vancouver. shops in Alberta for, or sorry, in Vancouver even for years, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's it's interesting, and you can basically Does smoke Vancouver, it on the streets. And Vancouver kind of uh, supplies all of Canada. Is that how it works? I think it's more the valley, like in the. Yeah, it's close to Vancouver, but that province, the province that Vancouver's in. That has the BC bud. It's the sort of the bud that's sort of famous that goes around the world. Yeah, it's just a really good growing climate, I guess. Yeah. Wow. You know, yeah. the one thing that's changed in the last few years, um, while I started writing this book and since it's been published, is that states in the Western United States, mm -hmm. Colorado, Washington, and particularly Montana, I actually spent some time in Montana recently, and in Montana, Montana used to, I guess I was told five years ago, even, well, no, I guess before 2004 when medical marijuana kicked in, it was next to impossible to get marijuana in Montana. You had to like drive eight hours to meet some shady LA gangster guy <laughs> who might not show up, you know, or call you and say he'll be there tomorrow or something. And it was expensive and swag crap, you know? And um, since then, now Montana is a is what they call a, a mar is a marijuana or weed sufficient state. It doesn't need any ex it doesn't need any any more marijuana coming in. It it, it has a, more than enough for its own. Probably exports it to other states around it. So um, when that happens, that's when that's when the, the the gangs and the and the and the mafia and all the uh, criminal elements of of marijuana tr uh, or narcotics trafficking. They their their channels are all fractured and they're really not able to penetrate, you know. And sure, there's dealers. There's still there's still weed dealers in Montana and De Denver, Colorado, for that matter. But it's so low level. And the and and as we were talking about earlier, the the incentive, the profit incentive, is not really there either. Hmm. So so he's finding getting back to the the gangsters and stuff. They're finding exit plans or. They're figuring out where to put their energy. Start max. saving up. Man. Is it is it harder for them to operate un underground than it was like five, ten, twenty years ago? Uh, you know, I it, it is yes and no. It in seems like it would be more difficult. You know. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, in, particularly in New York City, you have you have cameras everywhere. You every I mean, God knows what they're doing with the cell phones yeah, in exactly, New York City. Exactly. You know, so it is it it just becomes it, whatever it, how it, the mafia has always acclimated to whatever environment they're given. And so it just takes it just takes a, a, a certain amount of time to get the rhythm to keep the invisible landscape uh, invisible, you know, buying off the media or whatever it takes for with the cops and all that. Right, right. And I, well, the other thing is, if they're if they are fucking with the cell phones, they're not going to play their they're not going to play their hand on busting a weed dealer, right? It's not really they don't want us. Maybe they will, no. I guess, but I don't think they'd want us to. You know, it seems like maybe I don't know. It's tough to say whether their image is tarnished enough, or whether people really just don't give a shit if they're being spied on anymore. Hmm. 
Yes, that's that's why you know everything is always classified when they talk about uh, what they can what they can say and what they can't say. You know, like the government, and and that's because it, it, as soon as you start it start uh, giving information about what you've received, then you start revealing your uh, your methods. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you don't want to do. And I, I think New York. I don't care what people say, and I don't care how how sophisticated the technology becomes. New York's New York. And there's no way you can get a few thousand cops, whether it's federal, state, or or local, or city, um, you know, or municipal uh, police. You cannot listen to every conversation of eight million people all day long. It's just not going to happen. I think what it what it does is that if there's something that triggers uh, a, a situation, and then the cops can go back and they can collect stuff. I think that's how it works. So it, it's like a big net that sweeps everything. And then they have to go back and pinpoint. But I don't think they're trying to catch stuff in real time, honestly. Or maybe there's uh, to there, me, maybe there's like cursors, right? Like if they hear it's here's a word, maybe it like a little you get an email. That hey, might, buddy that said terrorist. <laughs> right, but you know everybody talks about that stuff. You know I can't. I talk to my mom. My mom's talking about ISIS from Maine. You know, uh, so it's 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 a. You know, it's a really dicey thing too because everything people are talking. You know, it's not that. And, and just because somebody mentions something doesn't, or if I look up, if I look up ISIS on uh, on Wikipedia, does that mean I'm going to join them? You know, I'm just just as uh, people are trying to learn and talk and discuss issues, just like any other thing. Yeah, it's 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 almost like we hear the stories now about people getting pulled over and and actually their cell phones being confiscated or searched. So that's almost where it's it can be dangerous, right? Is if you get pulled over for something or you get something like you said, triggers it. Now they have like instant access to a lot of history. Right. Yeah. Well, in, in the United States, particularly with law enforcement, there is, they're able to get information pretty quick on those little computers in their cars. Um, they can, I mean, I don't know if they can get the whole, the whole FBI enchilada, but they can get stuff from around the States pretty quick. I just went to the states and I uh, I was at the at the uh, immigration to go in there, mm -hmm. and the guy yeah. the guy looks at me. I'm with my girlfriend there, and the guy looks at me and says, uh, he looks at the computer, he looks at my passport, and he goes, "Are you also known as Graham the Man?" And I thought I was thinking, what the? How did he find out so fast? I thought he was looking at the podcast, and he oh, had if you're known as Ramblin Graham. Gram yeah. Are you Ramblin Graham? I thought he was saying, "Are you also known as Graham Balam or something like that?" But <laughs> And I looked at him, I could tell he was joking, but it it, it it made me think, does he have access to all that information on me at his fingertips? But he, what he really yeah. said was, are you also known as Graham the Man? <laughs> oh, and, okay. and he was just kidding. And I was, oh, it was, it was pretty funny. I guess he had to be there about, yeah. Anyways, he, we, they have asked me some pretty crazy questions going across the border. And even the cops uh, in Canada here, they know by looking at your license plate, like you said, with those computers, they can pull up. Pull up uh, a lot of stuff about you while they're driving behind you. Mm, exactly. Well, the plates will. I think they just scan the plates in yeah. some states here in the U.S. And also, your registration is scanned. And if it's if it's past due, it will trigger something in the in the car, in the police car, and and then the sirens will be behind you in a few seconds. Yeah, that's crazy. Huh. Mm. So I was going to ask you more about about the uh, the mafia's role in all this stuff too, and. Sure. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was now. <laughs> Darren, help me out here, buddy. Um, have you have you had any like? Are, 
I guess, like you were kind of buddies with them, but have, have, did you have any times where you're scared for your life or have you had any repercussions or, 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 um, blowback since the book comes out? In terms of my worry about my own safety while I, while I, while I shadowed Silvio, probably every day I thought this was my last day <laughs> on earth because, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, he smokes weed a lot and, you know, he, he shows me all his he shows me the entire criminal underground of New York City, you know, invites me in and I get to see everything. I know all the names. I know everything. And I'm thinking he's going to smoke a blunt one night and he's going to get all paranoid. And then I'm, that's when I'm going to end up in a ditch, you know, and I actually discuss it in the book is I, I did fear for my life while I while I did this assignment. And ironically, my life was not in really much any danger in in hindsight uh in fact there was a lot more danger when and uh and my safety with when ambushed was published in 2004 than so far with the ganja godfather yeah i was wondering about that now i remember what it was i was going to ask you why why um these guys want to tell the story right like why why now why do they want to tell it like aren't they afraid of or are they just beyond sort of any repercussions from telling a story like this that's a that's a, that's really the, the the key question to this whole this whole book. Um, why? And I have to say, I think it's ego. I think it's I think it's pure narcissism. Wow. That that you know it, there was and there was a there was a a, a parallel um, situation going on in Europe um, last summer, where the young guns of the Sicilian mafia families who had just been inheriting. Uh, their family dynasties, uh, uh, you know, over the last few years, they decided, hey, let's let's flaunt our wealth and what we do on Facebook. And you see them, you know, it's a different sensibility in America. So they're in Speedo bathing suits and they're on yachts with gold chains and girls and bikinis. But uh, the main point is, is that they were showing off something that I think would have been almost sacrilegious to the original the OGs of the mafia, like Lucky Luciano and um, and Nvidia Genovese, I mean, obviously they were big names and they had big egos too for their time, but they didn't go out of their way to <laughs> flaunt, you know, take pictures of themselves with guns and 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 jewelry and drugs. It's crazy, but I think I think in a way, a lot of the the Hollywood films that have come over come out uh, out of Hollywood in in the last few decades has kind of created a mythology with the mafia in America. And, you know, I believe that at this point, the tail's wagging the dog. And the mo- young mobsters kind of feel left out if movies aren't being made about their lives or books aren't being written about them. So when you talk about and, the young guns, how, how old are you? How old are these guys? Are you, are you saying like 40s and 50s now, that age, or even younger than that? Well, Silvio's, I think, 40, 43 or just turned 44. I'm not – I, I think that's right, 44. Um, but he actually is quite young for this business uh, in New York. But I think the guy, I think the, guy, the, the Facebook mafia guys were probably in their 20s, I would guess. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Like the guys. And ironic, the, the, the same – I think the, the motivation for both is there, that they want people to – I mean – now, Silvio didn't pose for pictures, so that separates him from the Facebook mafia. But in a way, I think Silvio actually put himself out more because there's a lot of depth to this book in terms of all the stuff he does. 
You know, and I kind of play a three-card Monty with everything, so everything's kind of shuffled and muddied. But the essence of what I wrote is is true and is nonfiction. And um, and and I think Silvio, before he dies, I believe he would like to see this on the big screen. And I think that's what's motivated this whole this whole this whole idea or concept that let's let's do a book about me while I do criminal things. Wow. Huh. How, uh, you know, I was just thinking of how fucked up it is that you, you said you, you, you were worried more about your, your book about a, a American political family <laughs> than you were then about a, a drug dealing mafioso. <laughs> you know, th that is, it, you know, it, it's an amazing, um, uh, disconnect, but I would, I was actually getting lots of death threats in 2004 when ambush came out. And I don't know which ones were orchestrated by the Bush family or which ones were just organic lunatics, but whatever triggered it, maybe it was just the craziness of that election and, the, and those times. But one of the death threats I did receive was from the son of the guy who tapped George W. Bush into Skull and Bones. And I know that sounds completely Twilight Zone-ish. You can probably cue the Twilight Zone music as I talk. <laughs> But it's really true. Uh, uh, David Richards, um, he in 1967, in the spring of 1967, he tapped George W. Bush into Skull and Bones. He's a real estate attorney in Scarsdale, New York. And his son, who I, I won't mention on in this show because I don't want to, uh, you know, to harm him in any way, um, but uh, when this whole thing, I, I, one of the stories that came out about ambush was who tapped George W. Bush into skull and bones. And there were some follow-ups about in, and then this was also just not in my book ambush, but also this was going on in the gossip sections of, of, of the New York tabloids, particularly the New York daily news, but also the New York post. They were talking about David Richards and him ta and, and tapping George W. Bush and quoting my book ambushed. I, I did an interview with him saying that he actually thought that that uh, George W. Bush was one of the worst presidents we've ever had. So that became the narrative in the Daily News, the that the the guy who tapped George W. Bush in the skull and bones thinks he's a shitty president. <laughs> and um, then uh, I was told through the grapevine, this was after the book was published, that members of Skull and Bones had told told David Richards to, quote, shut the fuck up. And then I told that to 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 uh, report at the Daily News, and then that became a story. And that's when his son came to me in in New York and threatened to kill me right there to my face. And the police came, and he wasn't arrested, but he was escorted away. And uh, you know, the, the the reality is is that it's more dangerous to write a critical book about somebody running for president in the Republican Party. Than it is about writing about a criminal uh, uh, kingpin, um, you know, committing just about every crime you can in New York. That's crazy. Can we stick with that book for a sec? Is it was that a book about? Uh, I didn't have a chance to to dig into that book. <clears throat> I just got sure. back into town here, but was that about mm -hmm. George, pretty much, and his uh, legacy, or was it about? Did you go further back into the Bush family and all that? Because that oh, must yeah, have, that could have led down a a few pretty deep rabbit holes with the whole you know, secret society crap and all that. Certainly. Well, yeah, uh, 
uh, it was actually a secret history of the Bush family that went all the way back to like 1832. Oh. And uh, I think we went back to Prescott Bush's uh, father uh, in Ohio. And uh, uh, there was a lot of dark history there, to say the least. Yes, there was some secret society stuff. Um, but even even transcending the, the whole secret society uh, phenomenon, not just within the elites of the 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 one percent, but also uh, our perceptions of them. When you try when you transcend all that, um, what you still find is really a dark, sinister family that really doesn't belong in any leadership role. You know, much even dog catcher for that matter. But you know, like I, I actually I, I spoke to I did a taping with uh, Jack Blood this afternoon, and. W- both of us concluded that Jeb Bush is is more or less probably going to be the, the next president of the United States, and I mean in in, in D.C. right now in the inner inner circles of uh, power they're calling his nickname's forty five. I mean they really I, I I hope I'm wrong I hope I'm wrong, but I believe that Hillary Clinton is going to get the nomination, mm-hmm. and she's going to she's going to take a dive, mm-hmm. and. Maybe not just a die, but she's going to lose. Her temper might get the best of her. If you look at the campaign carefully, she, at least as of now, in its early stage, so this may be a little, um, you know, early, she looks like she's not even trying. It just looks like she's coasting. No one else is really going to threaten her uh, in terms of uh, her track to the nomination. But I don't see somebody who's hungry for the presidency or is serious about really becoming president. At least that's what I see so far. And you know, I, in two, when Ambush came out, that same same reporter, Lloyd Grove at the New York at the New York Daily News, um, he did a lot of stories in Ambush, uh, follow up stories throughout the campaign. And it went from all over the the gamut, from from skull and bones to cocaine to you know everything else in between. When John Kerry and, and George Bush had that first debate, and John Kerry really kind of KO'd Bush in that debate. I called, I talked to Lloyd Grove the next day and I, I said, Lloyd, it looks like we got a new president. And Lloyd said to me, <laughs> uh, you know, you have this book about Bush and you know all this stuff, but you have no idea how Washington works. Wow. Bush has got this in the bag, you know, and, and in a way what he was saying, although he didn't say it, is that elections are rigged, at least in the United States. At this level, post-nuclear weapon development, I don't think that there's ever going to be some kind of Pat Buchanan or any type of fringe candidate, whether it's left or right, or even libertarian or something in the center. The candidates, the handful of candidates that are going to be president in any given election for a four-year cycle is going to just be the, the few that the, the, you know, the elites, uh, political elites and corporate elites – that they're comfortable with. Yeah. And those are the only ones that have any serious chance of becoming president. Because hmm. so always... that's why you see like uh, Elizabeth Warren won't even run. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Colin Powell didn't run in 96. There was a lot of pressure for him to run. And I think he might have won in 96 uh, as a black Republican general. Uh, it could have, it could have happened. But if that if Colin Powell had won in '96, there had been no George W. Bush. Hmm. So now what we're hearing is that 
Colin Powell's life was threatened too by the Bush family. And that he was pressured out of running for president, even though he was seriously considering it. So, so they're it's basically a, really a bunch scary, of thugs. It you know, democracy is is it's really a it's not it's it, there's not really much of a democracy. It's uh, it, it's kind of just like a rigged Tweedledee Tweedledum system. And I'm not saying that like if Bernard uh, Bernie San, uh, Bernie Sanders became president, suddenly America would be great. Those guys I don't think would be necessarily good. Ralph Nader, any of those guys would be they'd be horrible presidents. You know, if they actually got in and were trying to govern, it would be a, it would be an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> I've, so, I've always thought that it didn't matter who was who was in that position that it was all somebody was kind of governing them. But right, well, yeah. yeah, there's that old there's that old poem from the Zapatistas in Mexico where the you know the bullet comes from a guy who shot my brother. He you know it comes from a guy who who came from another guy who controls him who controls him and it's just like it's one of those like Russian dolls you keep going in and you know and that's really what the the power structure is in uh, in, in the twenty first century and it, you know and it, it will flat will fast fast forward in uh, in in next year and you'll see you'll see how Jeb Bush will be will become president it's not even it's 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 not even a it's a joke you know and it, well what what may happen. Is, and this happened with George H.W. Bush, is that was the plan in 1980, was to have George H.W. Bush become president. But he was such a shitty candidate that Ronald Reagan just, just wiped the floor with him, really. So what they did was, is they, 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 tacked, um, they tacked him on as vice president. Reagan didn't even want him to be vice president. Reagan actually, and I quoted this in ambush, Reagan said, I don't trust George Bush. And I don't trust giving him the country if something happens to me. And he actually wanted Ford to be his vice president, Gerald Ford. And so there would be two, maybe a former president as vice president and a, a new elected president, I guess, as president. But it also, one of the deals that Ford and Reagan uh, arranged was that it would be considered a, quote, co-presidency, unquote. And when that got leaked out to the press, at the convention in 1980, that's when the Republican elite swooped around Reagan and said, look, that's unconstitutional. You blew it. You should have kept your mouth shut if you wanted Ford and this whole co-presidency crap. So now it's you got to choose Bush. And that's exactly what happened. And what happened to Reagan a few weeks after he was inaugurated? He was shot. He was shot. Oh, that's right. He did get shot, didn't he? Right. He was shot. And... um. Hinckley, John Hinckley, who shot him, was close friends with Neil Bush and uh, apparently went out to lunch together like a day before the assassination. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, that may be coincidences that, 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 that there's a lot of anomalies in life, but it's just really strange. And I think if 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 Walker or Christie or uh, uh, God, even Ted Cruz um, becomes the nominee uh, in 2016. If they if they beat Bush, Bush will be on the on the ticket as vice president. And then watch out if they win, you might see another another you know rever- uh, history uh, repeating itself. Oh, oh yeah, right, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, he really doesn't have to make it this this time. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Well, you th- 
think of it this way. All you have to do is you got to get him on the ballot. You know, like look at look at what happened with George W. Bush. You know, he had to beat all those other clowns that were running at the time. I don't know who some of them. I can't even remember. What was it Steve Forbes and uh, uh, Alexander from Tennessee and McCain? Um, you know, so you, you clear all those idiots out. So then you got the you got the party nomination. You're going to the convention. So you're on the ballot in all 50 states. And then it's just a it's just a media game at that point, yeah. you know. Yeah. The media, all they have to do in the, in the media in America, all it's designed to do is to move the populace in the direction that the one percent want. Whether and then that's what it's always done. And so you'll see, you'll see, you can see it now. The way Hill, no matter what Hillary Hillary takes a step out on the curb, she gets criticized for jaywalking. You know every. They said that she parked in a handicapped spot today was a headline I saw. Okay. So she blinks. It's a scandal. And you'll see that it it will even, as the election draws closer, you'll see that drumbeat continue all the way to the election. And I guarantee it's going to work. They're going to, they're going to drum her out of, of, of victory. But they'll make it seem close the whole way kind of thing. There might be, I mean, uh, you know, if you follow the Gore uh, 2000 election, I think is an excellent template because Gore was ahead. And then you'll you saw the usual propaganda that like a week or two weeks out of the election that suddenly George Bush is rising in the polls. You know, yeah. he suddenly surges. And that's all you know, that's all horse shit. The, 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 the people who had decided by then, but they're trying to get momentum. They're trying to squeeze those whoever the maybe what thousand people who are undecided at that point, you know? So it's really just a, it's just, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, the, the Bush campaign in, in 2000, by the end, like the week, two weeks before election day, they were really, really worried. Carl Rove in particular was worried that Bush might win the popular vote, but he's going to lose the electoral, electoral college. And how do we get Bush in there if he only wins the popular vote? And Karl Rove came up with a whole PR campaign that they were going to roll it out, that the, uh, the, the Electoral College is a bunch of bullshit and that you, you're, you're thwarting the will of the people if, 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 if the, the guy who won the popular vote is not the one who ends up in, in, in office. And they had this whole this whole public relations campaign to dis, to discredit the electoral college if the case came or if it came down that they won the popular vote but lost the election due to the electoral uh, electoral college numbers and i and, and at the end of it it actually was the other way around so they quickly reverted to you know the the system's the system and you can't change the rules of the game after you know after the clock runs out and all that other prop talking points they came up with huh. So it's all a sham. Yeah. It's all a sham. It's all just a. It's all a means to an end. And it, it, and I think democracy, at least now in 2015, is really just a vocabulary. It's like a logos you have to just push through, but you still always get at the end of it all. You still get what you want. You know. So getting so, back to to your mafia buddies, and and let's go yeah. to that, let's go to that scenario where Jeb Bush is uh, ends up VP and. And they want to take care of some business. Are they going to go to your uh, to your buddies for some help? Or are they going to clean up that stuff themselves? Well, you know, um, 
Tommy Ebley, who was acting boss of the Genovese crime family in 1963, after John F. Kennedy was assassinated, he anybody he could get in contact, any family member, anybody who would listen to him, he would tell them that the third shot that killed Kennedy in Daly Plaza was a Secret Service agent in the follow-up car to the president. And... Um, I heard about it through the family, you know, years, decades after he died. But I, I decided to just to give it a run and see what I could find in terms of that filter, of that perception that there was a Secret Service involved in as a second gunman in the Kennedy assassination. And with that little nugget of information, rumor, gossip, opinion, whatever you want to call it, I actually uncovered quite a bit of startling information um, right in the Warren Commission volumes that kind of point to what Tommy was asserting back all the way back in 1963, even before the Christmas of that year. And that was that a guy named a Secret Service agent, George Hickey, after two shots, failed to really kill the president. He stood up with an AR-15 in the, in the follow-up car and the final shot was his. And what really, really was startling to me when I started researching this was the fact that the bullet that the, the bullet that ricocheted through both John F. Kennedy and Texas Governor John Connolly, um, that bullet, which came from a bolt-action rifle from the Texas Book Depository, w- was found almost. In, in, in pristine condition at the Parkland Hospital on a stretcher later that day. But the other bullet that struck Kennedy in the head frag exploded on impact and left about 30 or 40 fragments in his head, according to the autopsy report that was made at uh, Bethesda, Maryland. So right there, you have there's a bolt-action rifle cannot shoot an exploding bullet. It just doesn't happen, especially if the first bullet was a, um, well, I guess it was a conicum bullet, I think. I can't remember the actual term, but it was... Yeah, it was conicum a sounds that, familiar. Uh, that might be the rifle uh, uh, make. But the bullet, um, there's no way that, that Oswald could shoot different types of bullets out of that gun. That's basically the deal. And so... Um, uh, that second bullet came from a gun that shoots exploding bullets. And an AR-15 does shoot explodable bullets normally. So that's when I started to think, this, there's something here, you know, at least something that I can run with. And I don't, I'm not saying definitively that this is what happened, but I got to say, it's pretty compelling, you know. <laughs> and um, flash forward to 2015. Uh, in, in 2013, two years ago, Silvio Abley told me that Pope Francis was going to be assassinated when he comes to America in the fall of 2015. And the mafia in Italy, uh, is pretty pissed at Pope Francis. One, he's reforming the Vatican bank, which messes up the mob's, uh, paper. And he also has basically, um, uh, excommunicated the mafia out of the Catholic Church, which is 
I guess in the mafia's mind, incredibly egregious. And no pope's ever done that before. Um, I think Pope, I, I may be quoting him not exactly, but he said something like, the only place the mafia is going to go is hell. And they basically said, you're not, we don't, you're not welcome in the Catholic Church anymore. We don't want your money. We don't want your, we don't want you here, you know? So uh, from what I'm hearing is that something's going to happen when he comes here in September. Why, why, and, why, uh, wait, uh, why wait till he comes overseas? You know, I think that um, the well, from what from what Sylvia told me, the Italian the Italian mafia is going to is orchestrating this whole thing, but I, I I don't know why, but I think I think that it maybe it's just for them it's safer to keep it, you know, put it in a foreign country. Yeah, they can find it, it in Italy. Yeah, easier to pin it on somebody, and who knows, probably but, easier to manipulate the American media too. Maybe I mean it's just. Um, I think the concept is that you get him in a foreign country as opposed to his own country, then the Italian government would have to swoop down on all the mob, you know? Where here it's like in another country. It's not Italy's problem necessarily or centrally, although it would be a big issue for them, obviously, and they'd be doing a lot of, uh, uh, um, you know, they would be cracking down too. But I think the concept is, and I, I I would guess this as well, that the Italian mafia has tons of technical or, or uh, has have tons of, uh, you know, outreach or re- be able to they have enough reach in the United States to pull something like that off. Yeah. Now, I, Sylvia has nothing to do with any of this stuff, but he has heard the chatter in the circles he runs with. And, um, you know, that's that. I also mentioned that in the book that the Pope Francis's life is in danger in the United States. If, if 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 he comes here, and these guys uh, execute what they're planning, you know, and then that's going to be that will be a, I think if that ha- a pope assassinating the United States, it sounds like something out of a novel, but uh, it I think it would really be, uh, I think that would be a real crossroads for the mafia. I think they underestimate the response that would happen if they actually killed a pope. Oh yeah, they would just be like fucking. They'd be terrorists then. Look the fuck out then. Right. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If it happened here, they, I'm sure the FBI or something would turn it into a, spin it as a terrorist thing too to, to gain some sort of opportunity out of it that way. Well, you know, I'd even say, you know, if they, maybe if they killed Pope Benedict, uh, I don't think anybody would care. But Pope Francis is a popular pope, and um, I think that I think that it would be a huge uproar of of purple fury, probably bigger than nine eleven, if something like that happened huh. in the fall. Wow. So, so since since you've been involved in all this stuff, do you <clears throat> looking at sort of a the bigger picture of the control aspect with the elites and then the mafia and all that? Do you see it getting now, especially with the internet and the way we, you know, ninety nine percent can communicate to each other and and sort of you know, nest in our little like-minded groups. Do you see it, it changing for the better, for the worse? Or is the sort of the elite structure clamping down more or is it opening up? What's your feeling about that? You know, I, I would say things always get better, you know, and they get worse. And it's kind of like, you know, it's two steps forward and one step back. And so, yes, things might be getting worse, but things get better. You know, the amazing thing, I guess, uh, post-Occupy is how much the Occupy dialogue is now circulating around in this presidential campaign 
where you have Hillary Clinton essentially uh, hijacking a uh, a message that you would. I mean, obviously, it's a little nuanced, but it's it's basically the Occupy movement, you know, and that um, that's an incredible transformation in my mind in terms of how far America has gone. So, but at the same time, those elites in the United States are trying to work around that and trying to work around that kind of national consciousness that's, uh, um, you know, has risen since, since, uh, since Occupy. So it's like, we're, we're getting smarter. We are, the media is using, you know, we, we got the internet, but they still have their hustles too. And the question is, is who's smarter, you know, and who will win this big game of chess in the end? And they have a lot of money. We might have numbers, but they have money. And that's the question is who, who will win out in the end? Yeah, money and influence and, and the power. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, the way we're talking now, I don't think, you know, the, I don't think the, the even in progressive circles, the conversation has changed even in the last 20 years. So the things that are, you know, becoming more and more mainstream, I, I would have never thought in the 90s that marijuana would be legal in any state. So it's 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 surreal in that way where things are getting better. But at the same time, you can see the you can see the undertow coming, and what what the reaction will be and the backlash that may arise. Yeah, it's it's people are more aware of uh, our debt based economy now too, and that you know the Fed is kind of more of a private organization as opposed to a government you know money making machine, and and it seems like there's a lot more awareness around all this kind of stuff. And I don't I don't know if people really know what to do about it. But it, it it is hopeful for me that more people are kind of waking up to to that. But on the other side of it, you know, the elite are putting in, you know, systems and processes to, to clamp down as well. You know, you talk about the we talked about uh, the Google. What, what do we call that, Darren, again? The Google uh, truth. Uh, what was that again? The, you know, Google coming up with their ministry of truth, the ministry of truth. And I mean, all kinds of scary shit that's going to happen, you know, the the new laws around the internet and everything like that. Like this podcast will probably be illegal, uh, short, you know, in short enough time. So I don't know, maybe there's enough time to, to change things, but it's going to be tight. You want to guys want to hear a funny story. I'll tell you how, how progressivism is in America. You can, you can, you can, I guess you'll have a good laugh with this, but I think for the last 20 years, what I've heard from progressives all around, you know, college students and young people is the, 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 the ideal is Canada. And <laughs> wouldn't it be great if we could just make the United States like Canada? Or sometimes you hear like, oh, you know, I, I went to, I lived in Massachusetts for a while. It was great. It's like Canada. It's like a different country. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's pretty cold you know? here though. So I, I, <laughs> I, uh, we, I think Americans in their mind think that Canada is some kind of Utopia that if we could just somehow you know transport it down, we'd be a much better country. You know, you're more civil. There's no wars. You got legalized. Well, back then, legalized weed in Vancouver. So it was, uh, you know, I, I have friends in Canada though, and they they you know they constantly tell me about Harper and the the the, the right wing uh, I guess uh, cultural uh, shift that's been going on the last few years. I don't know where it stands now, but um uh american progressives their their dream is is to is to make united states as much as like canada as possible really in their mind whatever canada is you know 
Yeah, that's interesting. No, there's some good things about it for sure, but we still have our, our challenges as well. I just think we're not as, you know, our banking system's not quite as, I don't know if corrupt is the right word, but it's not quite fucked. as as fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't really pay that much attention to the mainstream shit either. So it's, it's kind of hard for me to, to say, but I mean, I, I do feel like we don't have a lot of, <clears throat> we, we don't have a lot of our freedoms taken away. Like it, it seems like you guys are clamping down quite a bit more down there on, on the freedoms and. Mm. Well, yeah, know. I have a, I, I have a theory. I don't know. Uh, it, it's only a theory. So maybe I, as a journalist, I shouldn't be doing this on the radio. Uh, that's but, okay. Uh, we like to speculate here for sure. We can throw out all kinds of crazy ideas, especially I, Graham. Maybe this is just osmosis. Maybe this has nothing to do with, uh, actual reality or or mechanisms of of political control or or power, but it seems like Russia is always a few years ahead of the United States. So whatever's happening in Russia, maybe that stopped since Obama. But you notice that whatever happens in Russia, you'll see in the United States later. For instance, the rise of Putin um, on the wave of a terrorist uh, um, uh, uh, attacks going on in Moscow in the fall of '99. I know a lot of people. You know, myself included, we can't remember last week. But um, if you go back, you can you can see that that Putin wasn't even in power yet in the fall of '99. But all of a sudden, there were these apartment bombings going around all over Moscow, and then Yeltsin, who was basically on his way out, started to talk a lot of you know basically the same shtick that Bush did after 9/11. That whole you know either with us or against us and all that, you know, propaganda. And um, then he installed Putin. And then Putin really went to war on Chechnya and all the other uh, um, separatist groups in Russia. And that was uh, the rise of Putin was very similar to Bush in terms of the whole war on terror that was going on domestically and politically within um, in Russia. So... Um, I've always had that theory that they're just a little ahead of the game. <laughs> so what's so then thinking of that that way? What's what are you predicting for the U.S. then? Well, I mean, I guess I think for the near future, short term, I think it's Bush. Uh, um, you know, as as and, and maybe I'm just a little. Uh, I hope I'm a little. Uh, what Bi- do I have? Biased, shocked, Bush shocked from all the <laughs> Bush presidencies, but. I, I really do believe that. I, I really believe that he's going to be the next president. And I think there'll be other things that happen, too, that, that will um, change. The, everything we're talking about now will probably be irrelevant after the next election. And that's because some kind of event will happen, too. Something similar, you know. And uh, it's just it's weird to kind of live through these cycles of history, you know, uh, over time. It's uh, it's very surreal to know, OK, this is what's going to happen next. Even though we've been given this whole, I guess, fairy tale that there's a democracy and the American American gov- people and have a say in in how they're led, and I think I think I think the I think in the, in the next few years the, the the mask will really come off for most Americans. Yeah, well, it seems like from where we're sitting, sitting anyway. I mean, it might be because we're kind of doing the show and immersed in it on a weekly basis, but it seems like it's opening up. Like more and more people are, are wise to the fact that, you know, American politics, especially, and I think uh, the mm-hmm. UK and Canada and Australia and New Zealand aren't fucking far behind. 
But I think they're starting to see that, you know, it's become a corporatocracy more than anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the big question, I think the next question you need to ask yourself is, is, okay, we're all aware of the situation, but do you, do I, do, do anybody really have any power or um, way to change it? You know, we're just kind of sitting here watching, watching the wheels go around of history. And I think that's, you know, being aware is one thing, and that's great. And, I, you know, I think that's ultimately what we'll end up being. But I, I just, you know, we're, we're, we may not be a part of this whole disaster that's coming, <laughs> but we are, we are on the sideline. We are watching it, you know, and it's, uh, I can, I, I can't imagine what's coming down the road. I think you know, we've got it. I think we're changing it a little bit right now. You yeah, know, that's there's more and more of these converse, uh, conversations are happening and more and more people are turning to alternative media for their news and for everything else. Like, I think we're still a small minority, but I think there's a few more people every day. Yes, that's true. I guess, and in, in maybe it's just, maybe it's generational, but I, it seems like as as liberating as all as the media can be now with the internet, it also seems very fractured than than before. And so, not every, you don't get that kind of mass, you know, yeah, right, um, right. response, and 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 that's really. <laughs> What the media is all about is to mobilize the population to do what the elites want. That's what it's always been for. Yeah, exactly. So, That's what makes you wonder if like little shows like ours are going to have problems down the road, you know, where like you hear the guys on No Agenda talk about, you know, they, they, they're they saying that it's just a matter of time before you'll need a license to even do a podcast. Well, the the, the, game, the rules can be changed. I mean, there's this whole thing with, with the internet, uh, you know, they're talking about uh, – was net neutral or, or uh, net neutrality? Yeah, net neutrality. Trying to make it so everything on like it's, when you do a Google search, it's it's not an even uh, playing field. It's all tilted to like AT and T or whatever products the, the guy who pays the most to the search engine um, has. So you you type in uh, from America show, you might get. Uh, you know, you might get Wheel of Fortune first and uh, like 20 other shows. You which definitely is set off a couple of flags. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I think trying to warp the Internet and in, into making it work differently than it does now. I mean, uh, well, how about this? Let's take this. Person. How about just shutting it off? What would happen if it went off one day? You know, gone. Yeah, it's, I, it, I wonder about that. But I've heard. I've heard some people say that it's it's not it's even possible. possible. To, like yeah. even like it's so it's the way it's set up is to is it's like set up to um, survive like a nuclear holocaust basically, right? So it doesn't need any one certain point. So basically, you could wipe out all of North America, and the rest of it's just going to be fine. So, but yeah. who knows? I mean, there still could be, be roaches in the internet. Yeah, exactly. So when you when you if you can find a charger for your iPhone, you'll still be able to get porn. <laughs> And the YouTube troll, the YouTube trolls will survive for sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna when 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 the bomb goes off, I'm gonna hold you to that. <laughs> so what do you got going on and next? Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, all right. What do I got going on next? Yeah, what's your next project? What are you What are you thinking? What are you working on? Um, I am working on something. I, no one's asked me that yet during this whole uh, publicity tour. Wow. Uh, nor, normally, writers don't talk about stuff they are planning or uh, I guess they always say writers write, you know, 
And if you and actually, there's an old saying that if you talk about what you're going to write about, you're going to jinx it. But uh, I guess uh, I actually been thinking about um, maybe taking an offshoot of of this story and uh, maybe creating a, uh, um, a central narrative around a subject, maybe a, a smaller subject from this book. Uh, I know that sounds a little abstract, but um, I. I, I I guess in a way I I feel like this book um, you know I'm a dad now ambushed I, I was I was uh, I was uh, childless then when I was 28 30 years old but in between ambushed and the and and the Ganja Godfather I, I've uh, I I had a daughter and I really don't want her reading this book until maybe after college <laughs> and you know I feel bad because she she's she's four years old now. And she sees, you know, I got copies lying around. She sees my picture on the back. And it would be cool for her to have a book she could read, you know, that I wrote. So mm-hmm. I think I'm going to try to do something um, um, for young readers uh, for my next project. Huh. But still in, in the same vein in a way? of. I suspect it will probably have all the usual uh, Toby Rogers subversiveness. <laughs> Can't really escape it. Waking up toddlers. Right. <laughs> so you've you've done all these books, you've you've done all these stories, and you've kind of covered all these people. Have you had any um, any favorites? Like, what's your favorite story? Mm. You mean favorite like journalism? Yeah, in journalism or... in general. Like, yeah, like favorite thing you've ever written. <clears throat> I have to say, I really I really like the Ganja Godfather. I'm not saying that just because this is the new product. Um, I'm really proud of it. Uh, I think it's, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a great story from beginning to end. And I feel like I, as a writer, I've matured since ambushed. I was 20 years old when I ran ambushed. And sometimes as, as you know, there's a lot of great inf- information in ambushed and, um, that book you can still get actually at Amazon and uh, at my publisher's website, trynday.com. And uh, I'm, pr- I'm proud of that book too. But sometimes when I read it, I cringe because it's like, God, I could have done so much better, you know. And I feel like the Ganja Godfather, um, maybe also because it took uh, took more time. I had more time to do it. And also I was a lot more mature as a writer. It's just a better story. You know, it's just a better book, a complete book. Um, Ambushed is like a lot of information, a lot of secret history wouldn't that I pulled from like hundreds of books and – Articles that I found. This is pre-internet, by the way. So I used to, um, all throughout the Clinton years, I would be clipping articles out about the Bush family. <laughs> and uh, I, I even just I spoke to a um, a friend of mine t- uh, before I was talking to you guys. He's it's actually he's a subject in the book. His name's Keith Reynolds, and um, uh, I was telling him, you know, or actually I, I said, you know, I, I, I people thought I was crazy back in the Clinton years, because I used to tell people that the Bush family is going to avenge the loss of 92. And Keith told me, he said, I, I thought you were crazy too. I thought you were completely insane. And, uh, but I kind of instinctively knew that the Bush family was not going to just go away after that loss, you know? And the more I learned about them, the more, um, the more it, it, it lent to that, to that, uh, conclusion, you know? And, um, I actually moved down to Texas um, in 1997 from New York to 
research the Bush family and infiltrate the Bush family. That was another thing that was kind of cool about this book is I was able to kind of, through my father's connections um, on Wall Street, he's a Wall Street attorney and uh, is a big, or was not anymore, but was an OG in the Republican Party in terms of raising money for them, like the Reagan years and, and, and afterwards. I used his name to get in and um, used those contacts to uh, get out the, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but um, I was really the first reporter to talk about George Bush and cocaine and had a source for it as well. And if you Google it, you can still Google it. Um, I believe it's, uh, if, you, if you Google Toby Rogers, Bush cocaine, Sunday Times of London, and I'll give you the date too. I think it was January 23rd, 2000. You'll see that I was the first reporter with a source uh, for George W. Bush doing cocaine. <laughs> oh, jeez. How do you feel about that now? Okay. Um, we got a mayor up here that gets into trouble. Yes. <laughs> was it was this Ford? Is that his name? Yeah. Ford, yeah. Toronto mayor. He, is he out? He's, is he done or is he in jail or what's his? I think he's still mayor. He for, he's still mayor, but he can't, he's not running for re-election. Is that the story? I don't know. It kind of just went away, but I swear mm. I'm sure he's still mayor. Hmm. No, did he? No. Get, no, Joey, our producer's saying I no. I, I thought he was. I thought he was. You guys are Canadian. I, I thought he was. I remember the last thing I heard about him is that either he resigned, or that the board or something kind of pushed him out and he decided to go, or he decided he wasn't going to run again or something like that. Mm. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> It shows so you how those, much us Canadians those, pay attention to our politics. It's so, so ridiculous. It's like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm, I'm being told he's out, but his brother's running? His brother ran. Oh, yes, he has a brother. Has, <laughs> you know, the, the, the I've heard that, uh, that that Ford was actually a pretty good mayor from people. I, I, cut the, I actually heard that, too, that he was like, he had things were going pretty well, and his, yeah. he was just out partying too much. Yeah. And, can, and, and every mayor... And every mayor in the in the probably North America um, orchestrates jailhouse beatings once in a blue moon too. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What the, well, that was what I was going to ask because we're Canadian, so I don't know. Like to the average American, does it seem as crazy to elect another Bush as it seems to us sitting around this table? Because I mean, like that guy's kind of like a running joke up here. Yeah, you think the name would be tainted to the point where nobody else with a Bush name could get elected? I think the answer to that is yes. I think everybody I talk to says, once again, they say, Toby, you're crazy. There's no way another Bush is going to get in there. No way. The brand is destroyed. George Bush destroyed the Bush family name. There's no way. People are telling me, Don't, why are you even worrying about it? You know, it's like they're saying Hillary's got it in the bag. And that is, I guess for me, that's where it gets scary. Is, and then the disconnect there is because that's exactly what people said about George W. Bush. That's hmm. exactly what people said about Ronald Reagan. People said Ronald Reagan's the biggest joke. You're going to have an actor as president? You know, what was the old line in Back to the Future? Who's going to be a Secretary of State? Jerry Lewis? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> huh. So don't underestimate this. That's, I think that's the problem maybe in the United States, is that people underestimate the Bush family all the time. And I think that's what we've been doing all along. I think so, another one just it, came into the world the other day, too. Another little Bush. Yeah? yeah? I think I seen it on Jeb Bush's Twitter account. Don't ask me how I got there. But 
<laughs> you don't follow Jeb, do you? I think you're talking to, you're referring to, uh, oh, God, it's George. There's so many of them. George, is it George P. Bush, um, who's now land commissioner in Texas? Who's Jeb Bush's son? No, this was, um, a, this was a baby, like a new baby Bush being coming into the world. Oh, Wow. So you, that'll you know, be like, he'll be president in like 40 years. Yes. <laughs> it'll be a 2060 campaign. I wonder if they'll still be, I wonder if they'll still give away, even bother with the illusion of a democracy by then, or if it'll just be. <laughs> it'll it, just, it would have collapsed have by then. Probably. You won't, they won't have conventions at that point. You'll just, you go to your touch screen and you have a choice between Chelsea Clinton or the Bush twins. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, I guess we should start wrapping up here. Um, it's been a great chat, Toby. Yeah, sure. Was, I, I've had a great time. And I'll, uh, I'll tell your listeners, um, you can go get The Ganja Godfather at uh, Amazon.com as well as Trinday.com, and you can get ambushed there as well. Um, and you can also contact me at my website. Uh, I have an email, uh, ganjagodfather at, at gmail.com. And also uh, my website is Godfather. Dot page dot tl and you can reach me there as well great are you on the twitter or anything like that i am i am i'm at at ganja godfather on twitter and ganja godfather on facebook as well i'm surprised that handle was still available yeah me too me too but it's it i got it oh that's I don't great. Know. so now if the movie comes that's out you'll be able to sell that handle for big bucks i was just gonna say that we gotta right. we gotta have you back on when your book becomes a screenplay and we can uh when it gets hollywoodized Guys, anytime I'm available. Maybe Graham can get cast as someone who gets shot or like, something. I'll be the Joe Pesci of uh, the Ganja Godfather. <laughs> All right, Toby. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's really had a good time. Welcome back to the Graham Eric Show. That was our chat with Toby Rogers. What'd you think, Darren? That was a fun one. Ballsy. Right up your alley? Yeah, totally yeah. ballsy. Eh? I don't know if I could pull that off. I thought it was pretty funny that he was more worried about bushes than mafia. Yeah, that is creepy. Says a lot about. Afterwards, I was I was thinking I, I wish I would have asked him more questions about the actual like process and actually like the you know like kind of like a little bit more the ins and outs of. The deal in the ganja at that level, you know? Just deliver, just like... Some of the logistics and stuff like that, maybe? Or? What was the movie with Chappelle? I don't know. Where they're delivering the dope around New York. Mr. Nice Guy or whatever. Was it a serious thing or a, a no. comedy? Comedy. comedy. High time good, or high life. Do you remember Goodfellas? Yeah. That was kind of crazy the way that ended up getting going old school like casino yeah. pesci in his yeah. glory days yeah oh, that was a fun one yeah toby's up to i want to get his first book yeah ambush now yeah totally
And it'll be interesting to see what happens. With the Jeb Bush thing? Yeah. I still say it's a long shot, but who I, knows? He probably I, knows I better than something. I do. The Bushes will just have some people killed. No, just it'll happen. The Jeb will get in. It's already happening, really. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, fool me once. What And then what? Never mind. Some people got it. <laughs> well, don't you remember George Bush fucked up that saying, fool me once? Oh, like, no, I don't remember your, that. Kick your fool again. No, I don't remember he that. He stumbled through oh, it. Did he? Oh, oh, yeah. He fucked it up, though. Oh, sorry, buddy. So it was like, whew, playing baseball with myself here. Yeah. So who do we got coming up next week? Garnet Schollhauser. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, that was a good interview. That people will, I think that uh, lots of our listeners will like that one too. That's coming out next weekend, and in the course of the weekend after that, will now be the round, round table, table with, with uh, Connor and Alex. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. And RPJ. Red Pazanki will be joining us. Good. I kind of want to just sit back and let those guys talk. No, you can't. You don't get off that easy, buddy. Please? No. I think this is. Can I take a break? No. No breaks. No rest for the wicked. All right. You just had a week off. What do you mean? You just had a break? Yeah, but I mean like a break like during the show, like where I don't have to oh, well, you just be listen? on fire the whole time. Why don't you just become a listener? <laughs> Good times. Uh, I think that about wraps it up. As always, support the show. We appreciate your support, whether it be financial, review, artistry, art, art, artistic, or just spreading the word, spreading the gospel. Yeah. Uh, check out, yeah, out grammarica.ca slash support. Uh, leave review, review grammarica.ca slash iTunes. Sign up for the newsletter america.ca slash news and spam grambalam that's g-r-a-h-a-m at grammarica.com thanks for listening see you next week